Welcome back to the Idaho Family Report on the show this week. Maria Lancaster, she helps families adopt frozen embryos or snowflake babies. Why should Christians care? We'll discuss. All right, welcome to the Idaho Family Report. I am your host, Josh Bales, from The Well Church. I'm one of the pastors there. With me, Blaine Kanzani, the president of Idaho Family Policy Center. You don't want to miss a great event that we are putting on January 20th, the Winter Gala. It's called Standing with Conviction. We're going to have Kirk Cameron with us. It's going to be a, an absolutely great time. Uh, tickets are on sale right now for individuals, for churches. We're looking for business sponsors as well. If you go to idahofamily.org, you can find all the details. Indeed. And on the show today, Josh, we are discussing in vitro fertilization. We're discussing snowflake babies. But before we get there, I think it's important for us to talk about how the Bible applies to all of life, because the Bible speaks to these issues too. One of the most subtle heresies of the modern church is that the Bible that God's word only speaks to our church life. That's right. Or use only the, speaks to our spiritual life. You use life. the H word, man. Yeah. We don't necessarily, we don't mean damnable heresy here. What we do mean, this is a, this is a serious, pervasive error. Like that church, that's where we talk about God. That's where we apply the Bible. But outside of church, there's this mystical area called neutrality. And the Bible just does not allow for that. The Bible actually speaks to some very interesting aspects of our living. So, so for instance, the Bible talks about how women should wear their hair. <laughs> the Bible talks about uh, men's employment status. The Bible talks about what a married coupled sex life should look like, uh, namely under what circumstances can they withhold from each other. Uh, it talks about legitimate marriages and, and what are not legitimate marriages. It tells us what we should do on our on Sundays. It speaks to what magistrates should do with all of their duties. So in short, there's nothing that we experience in life outside of the church walls that God doesn't have some direction for in his word. Because he says, mine to every part of life, doesn't he? All of Christ for all of life. And that includes the what and the how of pregnancy. And specifically today, we're discussing the issue of IVF or in vitro fertilization. That's right. You know, so we celebrate, you and I do, we celebrate the wonderful works of God in science. Like we look at the advancements in science today and we are so in awe of what God has done through man. But the question when it comes to pregnancy is not so much what is science and technology able to accomplish, but what does God say about those things, right? So let's talk about in vitro fertilization. Brother, what is IVF? So IVF is the process of joining together a woman's egg and a husband's sperm in a laboratory. Um, outside of the natural process, it's, it's, a, it's using assistive medical technology to create new life through Again, and joining that egg and that sperm together. And, you know, ultimately we believe that life begins at conception. That's what the Bible teaches. That's right. And so when that egg and sperm come together, a new life is 
truly created. That's right. So, and we might disagree on this, and that's okay. You can you can be wrong if you disagree with me. <laughs> is there a good type of IVF, and is there a bad type of IVF? Shoot. You want me to say my position first? Go for it. Well, I think um, my position is that technology and science is a great gift. So if a husband and a wife can't have a baby, then IVF would be a good possible solution for them so long as uh, no other babies were destroyed in the process. Because often what happens with IVF is they'll take multiple eggs and fertilize multiple eggs. They'll observe them and they'll say, oh, these ones look viable. These ones look active. These ones look good. So we'll discard with these ones over here and we'll just choose one of these or two of these and put them in you and the rest of them will either be destroyed or frozen. I believe the Bible says that's wrong because like you said, a fertilized egg is, is a human being. Yeah. There was a study that was done in 2015 that found that over a million frozen embryos exist in the United States. These are children that were created either for IVF and they were superfluous. They weren't needed because the woman ended up getting pregnant before those specific embryos or babies uh, were, were implanted. Or they were created for the purpose of stem cell research. Over a million children in freezers across the United States. That's crazy. And that's what our interview in our second segment is all about. Uh, As a Christian, you can help adopt babies that are already waiting for parents right now. But we'll get to that in a minute. So I want to address something. So I think there's a disconnect for for many Christians that they can immediately recognize that abortion's wrong. But when it comes to frozen embryos or when it comes to IVF treatment, the egg and the sperm is so small that you can't even see it. I mean, is that really a human being? Do you know what the Bible says about conception? So one of the most famous Psalms is Psalm 51. David sinned with Bathsheba and he came back and he repented and he said, in sin did my mother conceive me. So aside from the theology there of him being born in original sin, what he's saying is that at the moment of conception, I existed. So when he was infinitesimally small, he was a human being, a body and a soul together. Yeah. So these frozen embryos are indeed humans. They have souls. They're created in the image of God. They have as much value as you or me. That's right. A couple other uh, things to think about from the scripture is that in in the Mosaic Code, uh, if a woman was carrying a child and two men were fighting and that fight broke out and uh, the woman was harmed in, in the process of that fight and she gave birth to the baby, then a fine would be imposed if the baby wasn't harmed. But if the baby was harmed, even though it was, quote unquote, an accident, the law of lex talionis would be applied. So eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So what this means is that both the mother and the unborn child are given equal legal protection in the eyes of God. Yep. That's crazy. Harming an unborn child is no different than harming a person who is already born. Location doesn't matter. The justice system should treat that harm in the same way. And so that doesn't just apply to a baby that's two months old, three months old, four months old, a baby that you can see with an ultrasound. That applies to a baby that you can't even see unless you have a microscope yet. Yep. So Josh, as a pastor, I'm sure one of the questions that you're asked is from people who have either done IVF and have created embryos, right? Babies that ultimately are destroyed because they're unnecessary for the fertility treatment. Um, Or maybe, you know, a, a mother or a father who has contributed to an abortion or procured an abortion for themselves. Is there hope for them? 
that is the gospel, isn't it? Yeah. That, that God sent his son into the world to save sinners. Um, the sin of, of killing a baby or, or having frozen embryos is, is not the sin that can forever ruin your life uh, for all eternity repentance is the answer uh, that Jesus came and died on a cross and rose again on the third day and he promised that those who come to him in repentance with contrition that they can be forgiven even of of those sins that we are so ashamed of and full of guilt over um, and and that is the hope and, and I hope that our listeners hear that today that we're talking about these issues because we want people to make uh, choices that reflect uh, God's law but for those of us who have made very poor choices, the answer is Christ. Turn to Christ. What a glorious truth that is. And redemption is how God works in the universe. And the stories that Maria Lancaster is going to share in this upcoming interview, I think we'll speak to that when we're talking about these, these babies who were created for fertility treatments. They've been left in freezers. But now in God's good providence, they're being adopted out. And so with that, we will return after the break with Maria Lancaster. All right, welcome back to the Idaho Family Report. On the line today, very special guest, Maria Lancaster. She is the CEO of Embryo Adoption Services of Cedar Park. Maria, we are so glad you're on the line with us today. Well, I'm just thrilled to be on because I love Idaho. Yeah, you used to live here, right? I did. I, I just moved from Idaho so that my daughter, she's going to go to college in Virginia, and I decided to follow her out here, but I lived there for two years while she was um, finishing high school in person. Well, we'll, we'll welcome you back at any time, I suppose. Um, so okay. you are the CEO of Embryo Adoption mm-hmm. Services of Cedar Park. So how did you get involved with this ministry? Well, um, to skip back a few years, uh, my husband and I could not get pregnant, and I was getting up there in childbearing years and by chance my husband heard Dr. Dobson interview a woman who had adopted the first embryo and had a baby named Hannah. My husband came home he was so excited and we thought you know this is it. So we followed up with it and we actually went through a program had a home study just like adopting a born child were matched with embryos in North Carolina and they were shipped frozen FedEx to my doctor's office in Bellevue, Washington thawed out in a dish and at eight cells, my daughter was transferred to my womb and I gave birth to her. Amazing. And that was, that was an experience that is so unreal even to this day to me that I actually had a baby because by that time I was 47. So really on the outer limits of, uh, or at the bottom of the ninth or whatever you want to call it, as far as <laughs> being, being able to have a baby, right? <laughs> Well, there was, there was Abraham and Sarah. I mean, we do have that, you know. (laughs) Right. We do have that, but I, I, I knew I had, it had to happen faster than that for sure. So tell us about your trip to the White House, Maria. So what happened was when my daughter was about two, we got a call from the White House and they said, we need you to come out here and be an example because George Bush is going to veto the federal funding of embryonic stem cell research and he needs some living examples. And so when he did his speech in front of the world, you know, my husband and I and my daughter, we were on the podium with him. And his one liner that really stuck from his whole speech is, 
these children are not spare parts. And it's also then was later proved that embryonic stem cell research really doesn't even work for reasons too long to list right here. So at that moment in time, when I was there at the White House, I was thinking, wow, my life is going to be different. I don't know how. And then immediately thereafter, they wanted me to go do an interview on the White House lawn with CNN. And all my family and friends found out all about Alicia right there on the White House lawn. So when we came home, I didn't know what was going to change or how it was going to change. But I was friends with an influential pastor in Washington State, Joe Featon. And I was at an event at his church. And I just kind of... It just sort of flew out of my mouth. You know what? Um, why don't you start an embryo adoption agency and I'll run it. And so we started it and I did run it. And then he sort of retired from official senior pastor duties and they released the corporation to me. So now I own it as of 2014. But nevertheless, it was founded on a ministry basis by a church and our whole bylaws and everything about it is Christian based. And we want to do everything we possibly can to provide um, help and services to both donor families and adopting families in a Christian way. So awesome. So cool. Thank you for doing that. Hey, so why should Christians care about these frozen embryos? How do they come about? What are the moral implications and why should Christians pay attention, know what's going on and care? Well, I mean, an embryo is a human life. Like my daughter, can you imagine in the freezer at two cells for four years? And now she's a 4.0 student, freshman year of college, beautiful lady. And she could have just been a medical experiment. That's why you should care. And so people need to be aware, especially, obviously, I work with a lot of donor families who really didn't know what they were getting into completely about doing IVF and having embryos. And then they would say they had two or three children, but they still have 10 embryos in the freezer. The consequences of what are we going to do now, now that we know they're a human life. And so there are a few options, freeze them forever, throw them away, make them into a medical experiment or let them go to another family, which even that option which is the most wonderful option for the embryo to be born, there's still a very painful process for the donor families to have to give them up. So that sounds like one of the key differences between what you're doing at Embryo Adoption Services of Cedar Park and like the kind of the normal IVF treatment. So your embryo adoption services, there's no destruction of life that is um, included when you're trying to adopt an embryo to a family where that's not the case with like your standard run-of-the-mill IVF uh, center. Okay, so there's a little bit of difference. You know, when these doctors make embryos, they're making them for the intent of helping a couple that they have in their office. And they make the embryos and they're all frozen unless they don't develop. And so the ones that are viable are frozen for future use. And so in our situation, we're not making any embryos at all. We're getting embryos that are no longer needed by a family out of the freezer to another family. So we're not participating in the process of IVF, which we should say it's in vitro fertilization. That's already happened by the time we come around and they're already frozen and they're already in the freezer with needing a home. So that's the difference. That, that is such a helpful um, distinction. 
So even given that, have you received any objections from Christians regarding embryo adoption? And if so, what's your answer to those objections? So there's some excellent books written mostly in the Catholic tradition about embryo adoption. And a very good friend of mine, Robert P. George, has written a couple of books about embryo adoption, and he's Catholic, in favor of embryo adoption. But he also wrote a a foreword to a book that was a collection of opinions about embryo adoption, where every other chapter was written by another think tank type person who one person said this is morally permissible, and then the next chapter would say why it's morally reprehensible. And so the truth of the matter is we aren't doing anything to add to the problem. We are merely rescuing a child who is frozen, who needs a family. But, you know, as you know, (laughs) people have opinions about everything, whether it's ketchup or catsup or, you know, mayonnaise or Miracle Whip. And so you, so certainly I have received some different opinions about what I'm doing, but I had to wrestle with the idea of doing it when I was going to do it myself and had to work through all of the consequences and ramifications before I moved forward with it. Because at that time, there was only 10 babies born in the country. And my daughter was the first one born in the state of Washington. Wow. So there wasn't any books written or anything else. I had to pray about it and, and actually believe that God was leading me to do it. And clearly now... He, he was and did, and my daughter's birthday was last week on September 5th, and on her birthday, I was notified that baby number 200 was on the way. Amazing. Now, is, is that God or what? Amazing. Yep. So you touched on this, Maria. The harm has already been caused when those embryos were created, right? They're in the freezer. You mm-hmm. adopting those children, that's redemptive. It sounds to me no different than adoption of a living child, of a child that's already been born. Do you think that there's a difference? No, I, I do think it's redemptive, but I will say this. We also have a contract that has clauses in it where no more embryos can be sawed than are willing to be transferred that day because it could be abused where let's say they get six embryos and the doctor will say, let's thaw them all out and pick the two best ones and put those in and throw the rest away. I think what Blaine was getting at, you know, the difference between an embryo adoption and a live adoption is we really don't see a difference because from a Christian worldview, life begins at conception. That We're only talking about different degrees of development, whether it's an embryo or a fully formed baby. So we are 100% on the same page with you. And and we don't just think it's a perspective. I mean, we think that this is like the biblical worldview. It is. And the other thing is to back that up, we also have, I have four social workers that work for me and we um, normally fly them around to meet meet with each family. But now because of COVID, we, we interview them on Zoom, but it's still a three hour interview. Plus they have to do a whole home study with background checks and everything just like adopting a born child. And they are not permitted to choose the embryos because the embryos are not a commodity. We present the adopting family to the donor family and the donor family is the same as a birth mom, and they get to choose where their embryos go. Well, um, I'm sure one of the most pressing questions for our listeners, especially those who are interested in embryo adoption, is, is this affordable, and how long does it take? Well, actually, it moves right along. 
We normally match people within two months, three months, you know, every once in a while, an unusual situation take six months or something like that. If they're looking for a specific racial match that we don't have, and it's very affordable compared to um, any other form of adoption. Our fee is 6,800. I have not raised it for five or six years. That includes all the legal work. And if people do not get pregnant, I rematch them at no fee. And no one else does that. The reason I do it is because I can't imagine being like people are desperate when they come to me and then they go through it and it doesn't work. They're just beyond it. And so we rematch people for free and I've matched people up to four times until they had their baby. How do these babies present an opportunity for couples that are struggling with infertility, Maria? Well, infertility treatments, you know, we have donor families that have spent $100,000 to make embryos and to transfer embryos and the medical treatment to transfer embryos is about $3,000. So they get the embryos for free from a donor family. The doctor costs about $3,000 and then we do all the legal work, all the social work and everything for $6,800. And they get the entire set of embryos. We have one lady who had, she put in two, one of them twins. She had triplets. She had two left. She put two more in, had twin boys, and then got pregnant on her own. And Be fruitful they, and multiply and fill the earth. Yes, right, <laughs> right. So in other words, you can adopt the whole set and have siblings for no additional fees except the cost to transfer them. So where can our listeners find your organization? Oh, that's easy. Just go to adoptembryos.org. Thank you for the work that you're doing, Maria. These children need homes. They need families. And you are matching them with families who want to raise them and uh, who, who will love them. And I've met your daughter. She's a wonderful young woman. And you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that have been presented by modern medicine to allow for these embryos that would otherwise just waste away in freezers to find their forever home. So thank you for what you're doing. We really do appreciate it. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me on today. I'm real excited about it. All right. Well, we'll be back with more from the Idaho Family Report. Man, Josh, that is so cool, the work that Maria Lancaster is doing, helping those children find their homes. Modern day Spurgeon. Modern day Spurgeon. <laughs> he was the, you know, he, he's known as a, a great prince of preachers, right? In the 19th century. Uh-huh. But he opened a, an orphanage in London and, okay. and he was placing babies all over the place. George Whitfield opened up a orphanage go. in, I think it was South Carolina. It's a Christian work. It is indeed. Hey, so I figured it would be good to end the program with a reading from Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 and discussing five takeaways from this that we can apply to better understanding the human person as God. God created us. Amen. Let's do it. All right. Psalm 139 verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your work. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
Man, so much good stuff there. Absolutely. The whole psalm is good, but this is where it specifically talks about babies in the womb. So let's talk about that. The first takeaway that we've discussed is that human beings are composed of body and soul. Do you mind elaborating? Absolutely. So verse 13, uh, the psalmist says, you formed my inward parts. So we have outward parts, uh, fingers and toes, but he recognizes that God formed his mind and his heart and his will. And so the takeaway is that all babies, regardless of how they were conceived, have souls that will never die. We're not just made of meat. We have an invisible part. That's the part that is made in the image of God. So the second takeaway is that human beings are knit together by the very hand of God. That's right. Verse 13 says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And the point is that we we don't come together in the womb in some naturalistic or mechanistic process. You know, we're not we're not atheists, we're not deists. We believe that God knit the egg and the sperm together and every part of our entire body and spirit. So no human being is an accident. Yeah. The coming together of sperm and egg to form an immortal soul is a supernatural process. God is personally involved in that. Yes, absolutely. The third takeaway, Josh, is that God forming us in the womb is a praiseworthy event. That's right. And I actually think that this is the most underrated takeaway. Verse 14 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So to approach the womb, the idea of the womb without praise is to rob God of the glory and honor that he deserves. The womb is not neutral territory. This is one of the saddest things about watching those science shows when they're showing you the glory of the sea or the glory of the mountains or the glory of the desert. And then they, you know, they insert the hole. And this took, you know, eight billion years of evolutionary process. At that point, they're robbing God of the glory to his name. And the same thing with the womb. Like the womb is a theater of God's glory. Yeah. Wow. The fourth takeaway is that God's eyes are on every baby from their conception forward. That's right. So verse 15 and 16, my frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. So there's no such thing as an unwanted child in the eyes of God. God has his eyes and his finger on every single baby. If God is personally involved in that process then how can he not care about that child? That's right. The fifth takeaway is that God is in sovereign control over our lives and that God has mapped it out to the last second. That's right. So verse 16 says, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So no matter what the devil has done to destroy human life, God still sits on the throne. And because God is sovereign, he overrules all the evil uh, that that even surrounds the conception of babies, and he works those things out for good. And that's so important on this particular point. As we said, there are a million babies um, in freezers right now, mm. and and God has those babies' days numbered. We might not know the end of, of this story, but he is good and he is sovereign. Indeed. God is providentially overseeing all of it. He is intimately involved in cares from the beginning to the end. Josh, do you mind closing us out in prayer? Absolutely. Lord God, we thank you that you are at the very center of the fight for life. We praise you that you have made us with souls that will never die. We praise you that you have intimately and personally knit us together and that we are not cosmic accidents. 
And Lord, we thank you that making babies is one of your most wonderful and fearful works. We thank you that all of our days are written in your book. We ask you that you would intervene on the part of not only these babies that are frozen, but that you would intervene um, on the part of the babies that are dying every day. We pray that you would grant our country repentance and revival, that we would turn to you uh, so that you would get the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the Idaho Family Report this week. Keep up the fight and keep the faith. We will see you next Wednesday. Take care.